and praying together. Um, you know, we, we just love the fact that there are people that are get dedicated to do that. And we thank our teachers and our leaders every week for their, uh, their time and their efforts in doing that. And so we get to have our own time now as adults. We can have our own time together as, as um, the church to worship Him and to honor Him. And yes, we are uh, at the end of our whole series in, on worship. It was a five-week series, and today is the last of it. And if you remember, and for those of you that might be visiting or kind of wondering, well, we see some instruments and music stands and microphones, but where, where's the music? We haven't gotten to that yet. And so what we've been doing is we've actually been taking what, what some have called a sabbatical or a break from music worship, because we have learned in many different ways throughout these past four weeks that worship to God is way more than just song and music. We often, when we hear the word worship, we think of music. And um, there's a reason for that. It's because I think we love, as believers, to worship God through song. And it's a very special part of us being the church. And in fact, that's the focus of our message from God's Word today. But what we have done to bring our attention and our focus on the fact that worshiping God is way more than just music, we have taken a break from corporate worship through song. And, um, you know, some people asked me early on, does that mean that, you know, you're challenging us, you're asking us not to, to worship God, you know, at all during these five weeks through music? And I said, no, of course, on your own, worship God as you always do through the style of music that you love, because music is very personal, right? It's something that's very personal and intimate to us, and we love to worship God that way. But corporately, together as the church, we have taken a sabbatical from that. We have fasted from that in a sense, just like we, some of us might do for Lent in anticipation and preparation for Easter, that we have set aside something that we love so that we can make sure that our focus and that our attention is right where it needs to be. And for me, it has been good. But you know what? It's also been hard. And I've talked to some of you about that as well. It's been a little awkward. It's been difficult because I think that all in a way, it helps to show that it's something we love to do as a church is to get together on a Sunday morning and stand and raise holy hands, as Scripture says, and sing loud and joyfully to the Lord, and lots of Scriptures that talk about that. And so it's good and right to do that. But I also believe that it's been an important time in the life of Trinity to experience that, what it's been like to put music aside. And so I can say that it's been, uh, for me, it's been helpful. It's been eye-opening, the, the, what the Lord has taught me through that. I hope it's been the same for you. But next week, Palm Sunday, uh, we will bring music back full force into our time together on Sunday morning. So we look forward to that. Uh, but again, continue to worship God through whatever music that uh, you use to worship Him. Uh, do that throughout the week. And we look forward to gathering once again next week and uh, reintroducing music kind of just like if we've ever fasted from food for a particular reason you know for getting closer to the lord or because there's something that you're praying about and you fasted you know that when you reintroduce music uh food into your diet how good it tastes you're like boy i've really missed that and uh, i think it'll be the same way with with uh, worshiping god through song
so today's uh, passage we will get to in a few minutes is from Ephesians 5. In a few minutes when I read it, it'll be up on the screen. But if you want to turn to it, uh, there's two main passages today. Ephesians 5, 18 to 20, and then Colossians 3, 16. They go together. They say uh, pretty much the same thing. And I'll read those in a few minutes. But the focus of those passages and for our, our last message on uh, the topic of worship is actually more intimate. We looked at uh, Romans 12.1 about offering our bodies as living sacrifices. And we looked at John 4 about the Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. And that God is calling us to worship not on a particular mountain or place, uh, but to worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's from the heart. And we, lo- we also looked at the nature of God and His essence and how that motivates us to worship like nothing else. But today I'm going to talk a little bit more about worship through song, about singing, about what the Bible says about music, and why do we do that here at Trinity? And why do we, as a part of the global and universal church, why are we moved to sing? And even if you know, you're know you one that says, well, I can't sing, and you don't normally sing out loud, Scripture still commands us to sing and make a joyful noise to the Lord. And you might say, well, it's really not a joyful noise to the people around me. <laughs> but that's besides the fact, because God wants to hear from you and from your voice a reflection of what's going on in your heart. So we're going to look at that this morning, and I think it'll be fun, because uh, the Bible, if you didn't realize it or not, talks a lot about music and a lot about how God created it and puts it in our hearts to uh, help us to worship Him. So I want to read this uh, quote to you. It's from Martin Luther. If you remember, just last year we um, just last year we celebrated 500 years of the Reformation in Martin Luther and all that he did. And so this was written about 500 years ago. And so the language might reflect that. But here is Martin Luther, who was uh, had really strong convictions on a lot of things, especially music. He was a hymn writer and a songwriter as well. Listen to what Martin Luther says about music and singing for God. He says, I, Dr. Martin Luther, wish all lovers of the unshackled art of music grace and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. I truly desire that all Christians would love and regard as worthy the lovely gift of music, which is precious, worthy, and costly treasure given to mankind by God. The riches of music are so excellent and they're so precious that words fail me whenever I attempt to discuss and describe them, Martin Luther says. He goes on to say, next to the Word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. It controls our thoughts and our minds, our hearts and spirits. This precious gift of music has been given to man alone, that he might thereby remind himself that God has created man for the express express purpose of praising and worshiping God. He goes on to say, however, when man's natural musical ability is polished to the extent that it even becomes art, then do we note with great surprise the great and perfect wisdom of God in music, 
which is, after all, His product and His gift. We marvel when we hear music in which one voice sings a melody, while three, four, or five other voices play and trip heartily around the voice that sings its simple melody and adorn, adorn this melody wonderfully with artistic musical effects, thus reminding us of a heavenly dance where all meet in a spirit of friendliness and embrace. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, just the words that he used to describe his interaction with music. And then listen to how he ends this, this thought. A person, after everything that he just said, a person who gives everything I just said some thought, but doesn't regard music as a marvelous creation of God, that person must be a clodhopper indeed. And does not deserve to even be called a human being. He should be permitted to hear nothing but the braying of donkeys and the grunting of hogs. <laughs> Here is Martin Luther just extolling right the virtues of worship through song. And he's basically saying, if you don't understand how much music is important to God in his heart, and what role it places in the life of a Christian... He goes, and I think you should just be relegated to hearing donkeys and hogs do their thing. Pretty funny, right? But I think it gets the point across. So the question for us this morning, church, is simply this. Why does God call us to sing? Why are there so many references throughout the whole Bible from beginning to end about worshiping God through music and through song and especially through singing? And we're going to sort of unpack that and look at some scriptures about that but most importantly i think it's because god knows that there is power in music for worship i mean he created us he put in, he put eternity in our hearts it says in ecclesiastes a desire after him but didn't he also create music he created music as a language for us to speak to him and to bring our worship and our praises to Him through something so beautiful as music, it's even hard to explain. I mean, Martin Luther, just in this beautiful language, tried to explain it, but he even says, I can't really even explain the beauty of music to you. Now, those of us who are musically inclined, that even know how to play an instrument or sing, or even know the little bit about music, but those of us, most of us, who just enjoy listening to music, don't we know that it does something to us? I mean, can't you turn the radio on and hear a song that maybe you, you heard 20 years ago at a special part in your life and it brings you right back? It puts you in a mood, doesn't it? I mean, the power of music to stir our emotions is so amazing. See, music in a sense, in a strong sense, I think, biblically speaking, is really given to enhance the truth of God's Word. You know, yes, we can listen to beautiful music and it can move us and even move us to think about God, but it stirs our emotions. But when you add words that speak truth of who God is, right, especially right from His Word or something done poetically that teaches us biblical truths, there is something so very unique and special and powerful about what music does. Because it stirs our emotions so that we can, listen, interact with the very truth of God's Word and who He is, even on a deeper level. There's a reason that we teach children Bible verses and Bible truths through song. 
I mean, I'm sure I could go around the room and any of you that grew up going to Sunday school, you could probably still sing some of those songs, couldn't you? I remember, I, you know, I wasn't um, a, a believer. I didn't become a believer or a Christian until college. But I remember, you know, when I started taking, uh, reading the Bible seriously and pursuing being a disciple that I wanted to learn all the books of the Bible. And so here I was in college and I had a friend of mine saying, oh, I learned them in Sunday school and he taught me a song. And so here I was, 18, 19 years old, and I learned all the books of the Bible by a simple tune, right? I won't sing it for you, but... Because remember, we're not singing in church, not yet. Not till next week, so I can... Maybe I'll sing it next week. But you know what I mean? It's like, we learn why, because it's so powerful. We remember things by a melody, don't we? And I mean, it makes like the words that we're hearing so important to us that it helps those lyrics to sink deep into our soul. So there is power in music for worship. I mean, God exalts over His people with loud singing. It says that in Zephaniah. Do you know that? It says that God sings over us. Isn't that beautiful? God is a God who sings. We are called to be filled with the Spirit that leads us to singing. We'll see that in Ephesians in just a moment. So God created us in His image. He wants us to be like Him. So if our God is a God who sings, then He desires that we sing to Him. Right? So the music and the words are to go together. In a way, the music, the singing, the instruments, they are all created and used to serve God and to serve His very Word. Now, you know, uh, you might have heard this before. I've mentioned it a few times, but we know that from Scripture that the most uh, common command of God, the command that God gives more than any other is, do not be afraid. And do not fear. But you know what goes right along with that? That oftentimes when you hear, when you read in Scripture, don't be afraid, you also hear um, phrases like, Praise the Lord, rejoice, give thanks. All of those most often go along with His command to not be afraid. Why? He says, don't fear, but worship Me. Praise God, be thankful. I, I've heard it said to me many times that, you know, it, it's impossible to be fearful and anxious and to be thankful at the same time. So we are to be thankful. And so more than anything else, God's Word tells us don't fear, but worship me. Sing to me. Praise the Lord. Be thankful. Rejoice. Not amazing that more than anything else, we hear those commands and those encouragements of God. So music is a gift of God and it's part of the whole created order. You know, from the beginning of Scripture, we see even the beginning of God's creation. We read in Job 38, he says, when the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Right at the beginning of creation. Right? When God created the heavens and the earth, it says the morning stars sang together and all the heavenly beings shouted for joy. Right at the beginning of all things. And then we read in Revelation 5, at the end of all things, when God restores what has been tainted by sin, it says every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them will sing to the Lamb on the throne. Isn't that amazing? So we see at the beginning of the Bible and at the end and all throughout, listen, God's people are a people that sing 
and make music to worship Him. The Bible contains more than 400 references to singing and 50 even direct commands to sing. The longest book of the Bible, you know what that is? Psalms? It's a book of songs. It's a book of poetry that the people of Israel used and they put music to it and that was their worship set. That was what they went back to time and again to worship and to praise God. And they used the Psalms. The longest book of the Bible is a book really made up of songs. And there's musical instruments that are mentioned to use to help accompany the singing that goes along with those songs. In the New Testament, we're commanded twice to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're going to read those passages in a moment. But why? Here's the question. Why? Why does God so often tell us not simply to praise Him, but to sing praises? I mean, we know that God says praise and praise Him, right? The Word says praise God. But you ever stop and think how often it says to sing the praises to Him? Not just to say the words, I praise you, God. But to put it to a melody. To sing it. I mean, is that unique when we sing something? It kind of elongates the words and the phrases. It helps you to hear it differently. I mean, if somebody says something to you, but then they sing it to you, it's different. You know, when we have our fellowship time after service today, and one of the things we like to do during our fellowship lunch is we sing happy birthday, right? To everybody who has a birthday for this particular month. And we have a cake. It's something that we like to do as a church family. And doesn't it make it a little better when uh, if somebody just says, hey, happy birthday, or they start singing, happy birthday. I mean, isn't that nice? Right? It doesn't mean something a little different. It kind of attracts your attention and it makes it a little more special. I think it does. Maybe it depends on who's singing it. I don't know. But that's okay. But the idea is that something unique happens when we put a melody to words, and most especially when we put a melody to the words of God, when we add the music to surround it, like Martin Luther said. You know, one reason that God is so adamant that we sing and praise Him through music, and it's not just praying and preaching and just hearing His Word, but often just putting it to song, is because, as I said earlier, God Himself sings Zephaniah 3:17 with loud singing. It doesn't just say God just kind of hums something. God sings over you with loud singing. Isn't that wonderful? If you're ever feeling anxious or fearful or depressed, remember that you have a God who is loving you and protecting you and is singing songs over you, filling your heart music. It's wonderful. Even on the evening Before his crucifixion, Jesus sang hymns with his disciples. You know, when we close out our time here before our lunch, you know, we we will move to our what we call the communion table or the Lord's Supper. And we know as we recount the story from the Bible about Jesus leading his disciples in the Passover meal, that it says when they were all done, Jesus sang. They sang a hymn together. You know, it's, I think it's part of that story that we kind of pass over and forget about often, but Jesus sang. Because there was an opportunity and a reason to sing. There was rejoicing to be done, and it was appropriate because Jesus was leading the singing, 
even though in a few short hours he was going to his death. But there was a remembrance of what was happening. There was a rejoicing of what God was about to do. And Jesus led them in song. Not just reciting the scriptures, but singing them. So we worship a God who sings and he wants us to be like them. But listen, singing can help us engage even emotionally with the words, right? It, it kind of helps us to take more time, give our focus to it. Just something happens when we hear it. But look at what it says in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, 18-20, and then Colossians 3:16, very similar. This is the Apostle Paul. And it says in Ephesians 5, Paul says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the companion verse, Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It says the same thing, that we are to let the Word of Christ dwell in us that should motivate us to sing. But I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what that necessarily means when he says that back in the Ephesians passage. When he says, do not be drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So let's stop right there, because then he gives us the implications of that. If you're filled with the Spirit, then you're going to sing and make music, right? But he says, don't be um, given to wine, don't be drunk Because that leads to debauchery. But he says, instead of that, be filled with the Spirit. Now, if you remember at Pentecost, when um, God gave the disciples through Christ the Holy Spirit, do you remember that they were speaking in a language that a lot of people didn't understand? It turned out that it was the languages of all the people from all the nations around that were coming, all the Jewish people that were coming to worship God in Jerusalem for the Passover... That God supernaturally, through the giving of the Holy Spirit, that's when the church was established right there, that they were able to then speak in these other languages. Do you remember what the people thought was going on? They said, wow, these guys must be drunk. Because they're just acting so weird and they seem to be babbling, but it was because they didn't understand because it was in all the languages so the people could hear and know what God was doing. And people said, oh, they must be drunk. I mean, what happens when people drink too much alcohol and they get drunk, they lose control, right, of their faculties, of what they're going to say and do. We know how it affects us, right? We understand that. But Paul says, don't let the wine, something like that, control you. Let the Holy Spirit control you. See, this is a really important theological issue right here that we need to understand. When the Scripture tells us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it means very simply to be led by the Holy Spirit. That we are to allow ourselves to be controlled and led not by any other force like alcohol or any person or anything else, but by the Holy Spirit. See, that's what it means to be filled. See, there's two things that we know what happens with the Holy Spirit when we become believers. At that moment of salvation, I believe Scripture teaches us that you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And that's a once 
uh, once-in-a-lifetime thing. That happens one time. At that moment of salvation, when you believe in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, at that moment, the Holy Spirit indwells you. And He never leaves you. Okay? He indwells you. It's what seals you as part of the church, as part of the body of Christ. Right? And Christ Himself gave us the Holy Spirit. So that's what happens. But then, the Bible teaches us to pray to be filled with the Spirit. Well, if the Spirit's indwelling us, why do we have to pray to be filled? Because that's okay to pray, Spirit, fill me. What it simply means is, Spirit, lead me. We are to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and to guide and direct our lives as we are living the Christian life together out in faith. That's what the Holy Spirit does. How do we allow Him to do that? Through obedience. By trusting and obeying God. We are allowing the Spirit to have His way for God's will to be worked out in our lives and not our own. See, the idea Paul is saying is when you drink too much wine, what you're doing is you're having your own way. It's about you, see? And he's saying, no, put all of that other stuff aside. Be controlled and led by the Holy Spirit. That's simply what it means, church, when he says in his word to be filled with the Spirit. See, we're indwelt at the moment of salvation, but then we are to continually be filled. Which means we empty ourselves of everything else and let the Holy Spirit have reign and rule in our lives. Right? And that's what we say, what we mean when we say, let God's will be done in our life. That means that we're letting the Spirit lead us and nothing else. So Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, don't do anything like that, because that just leads to debauchery. He said, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But then look at what the implications are. So what happens if we are then filled with the Spirit? Because here's the reality, church, that as the church, as the people of God in Christ, we are to be seeking to be led and filled by the Holy Spirit. That is a mark of being a Christian. That is what will allow us to be separate from the world. The world says, well, what's going on? Why, do you, why are you different? Why do you look different? Why do you act different? The idea is because it's the Spirit that's leading me. It's God inside of me, see? It's nothing like the wine or anything the world has to offer. And so Paul says, if you're then filled with the Spirit, as every believer should desire to be and should be, here's what's going to happen. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for everything. Isn't that interesting? So it doesn't just say maybe once, you know, on a Sunday for a few minutes you should sing some songs. Paul says if you're filled with the Spirit and you're walking with Christ, that you should be singing. That you should be making music. And not only to worship God, but to encourage each other. Do you notice that he says you should be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? I mean, what if I just said, church, let's just stand up and just sing to your neighbor. It might, might feel a little awkward, right? But in a sense, like that's what Paul is saying. You know what? As, as a church, the church should be a singing church. Not just our church. The church with a capital C. The universal church. The body of Christ. The followers of Jesus. We should be people that have so much joy... Regardless of circumstances. Remember the difference between joy and happiness. So much joy, it just flows out of us in the form of song and music. Doesn't matter if you think you can sing or not.
God wants to hear what's on your heart. And something beautiful happens when you sing and when you add the musical instruments to accompany it, right? That's what Paul is saying. I mean, I I think when we read passages like this, we might focus more on the, okay, be filled with the Spirit. But then he says something about singing to one another. I don't know. But it's so important. Because then if we take that, we see Paul says it again in Colossians 3.16, the letter to that church. He says, let the Word of Christ dwell richly in you. There it is. The Word of Christ, right? God's very Word. And teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And what does that look like? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness. Because when you're thankful, that's what's going to come out of you. That is why here at Trinity we love to praise and to honor God through song. All different kinds of music. All different ways. We'll get to that in a moment. So he says, very briefly, he says, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What's the difference? Well, they are very related, of course, but there's a reason I think that he separates them out. A psalm really is like we're looking at the book of Psalms. I think that's what he means. It's the Word of God, right? The Psalms being the Psalms that the disciples and Jesus, that they would quote, the ones they knew from the Old Testament. So he says, sing those. Sing the Word of God to the people around you and sing it back to God. That's why we do that. The songs that we sing are rich in the Word of God, either poetically devised to point to Scripture or actually the words themselves. So when he says sing psalms to each other, he's saying go back, you know the psalms that you have in your Bible, in the canon of Scripture, right? Open them up. They are songs. Sing them. Now, you know, I mentioned before that I think it's very interesting that we don't have the melodies, the music that the the nation of Israel, that the Hebrew people used to go along with it. They don't have it. That's been lost to antiquity. So we can actually add any kind of melody and music and instruments that we want because it's still the very Word of God. See? It's the Word of God that is most important and the music comes around it. So he says, sing psalms. So the word psalm simply means praise. It's the very Word of God. It's Spirit-inspired. See, that's God-inspired uh, poetry. That's His words. So he says, sing that. But also in addition to God's Word that's already been given to you, right? Inspired by the Holy Spirit. Sing hymns. So psalms, but also hymns. And those just really mean songs that we have, as a church have created. Songs created by us, maybe not necessarily the very Word of God like the Psalms, but, so, but hymns are songs that we create to praise and to show our adoration in a creative way to be sung to God. I mean, when it says Jesus sang a hymn at the Last Supper, we don't know, I mean... It probably wasn't a psalm. It might have been part of a psalm, but it was a song. He either made up or was known in the culture that day. You see the difference? So there was psalms, then there was the hymns. Hymns of the church. And now we, we think of hymns and we think of the, the, like the hymnals that we're used to, right? Those older songs. But in this context, hymns can relate to any songs that the church creates and crafts to help us as a tool to worship God. And then he says spiritual songs. And that's really just like a general term for songs that are be God-focused, spiritual with sacred themes. He's saying don't just sing any words to God. Make them spiritual. Make them sacred. When you're worshiping God, shouldn't it be focused on God? Even when the songs reference us, like how God has saved us or, or how, God, how good God has been to us, 
I mean, still, it's worship because we're turning it back to Him, are we not? The idea that it's not because of us, it's because of God. So spiritual music, it gives voice to what's inside of us, to our joy and to adoration like nothing else can. See, because it starts with the heart. No matter the style, it comes from the heart. More on that in a minute. Let me talk for just a moment about style, just for a minute. You know, so in Scripture we see singing and we see instruments. All in the Old Testament and New Testament, there's really no references to instruments or how to even play them. And I think one of the reasons could very well be that in the Old Testament, music, the instruments, they were designed for a particular people, right? An ethnic people that also had a very specific culture, the people of Israel. So it was very unique to them. But now the church... There is no Jew or Greek, right? It is made up of uh, people from all over the world, all walks of life. Uh, Revelation says every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so therefore, the New Testament just tells us to sing and make music. However we want to use the instruments that we have at our disposal, whatever style that looks like that fits the culture and the context of where you are, our brothers and sisters in Christ that are in Africa or Asia, They're probably not singing the same songs we're singing or even in the same style, right? Because, and they would, might, they might come here on a Sunday and this might look really weird to them, the the way that we sing and make music, the way we use our instruments. But see, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a great picture of diversity and, and, and worship the way it's going to be in heaven? It's going to be awesome. See, so we might even use the same instruments, but you know, you can use a guitar to play rock and roll music, to play classical music, and even country music, if you'd like to. But see, instruments can be used to make all different kinds of music. But the idea is, what's our focus when we're singing the songs? We're using the instruments to kind of accompany us in that singing? It's all focused on God. That's why it's worship, see? So, the key is, Even though there's different styles, those really all come down to preference, doesn't it? It comes down to preference. I mean, as somebody who's musical, I can appreciate every kind of music. But there's some that I like a little bit less than others. There's some that I love and listen to all the time, styles. And there's some that I never listen to because I just don't like it. But I can appreciate like the musical ability and how it it goes to craft it. But isn't that just, just like our God? To allow us to be so creative that there's all different styles of music. But of course when we choose like what style of music we're going to use here at Trinity to worship God. If we run around and said everybody what style do you want? We might have a hundred different styles that we prefer. We can't necessarily do that on a Sunday morning can we? No. And it's really not about compromising. It's more about a consensus. What makes sense for who we are as a people? See, together as the church, in our context here in New Jersey, by the Jersey Shore, and the people that we are, in our gifts and talents, and what we can do, and what kind of music is sort of part of our our combined culture, even though we might have very different backgrounds and preferences and styles that we like. I often tell people, you know, that might even complain about the kind of music that we might do on a Sunday morning, Say, you know what? 
I understand. And we choose a music that we believe as leadership that, that relates to most people. And it's not going to be any kind of obstacle because we, especially as a worship ministry and as a leader of the church, like we want to help the church, the congregation, engage with God in worship. See, we're to be like the leaders as a conduit. Saying it's not about us, we're supposed to point you to the cross. See that? The idea is to lead, that's why we say leading in worship. To lead the church towards Christ. I mean, that's why God set apart and set aside the tribe, right? Of Levitical tribe to be the ones that took care of what happened in the temple, including the worship through song of God. And all the sacrifices, there was a people that were set apart and God said, it's so important to me. I'm going to set aside a people just for that. And they didn't even have to work or farm or anything because God just said, you just take a portion of what the people offer because I want you to just bring your whole focus on leading my special people, my chosen people, in worshiping me and doing it the right way. If you go back and look at First Chronicles, which I'm sure you do all the time, right? First Chronicles. There's a, whole, there's a whole bunch of chapters that talk about King David instituting worship. You remember David? King David, the one we think about often, right, as king. Do you know that he really was, in essence, he was a musician and a poet. He had his harp and he was writing songs and he wrote some of the psalms. Didn't he? I mean, most of them, he was writing these psalms. Some of these psalms as lament, some of them as praise. But he was a worship leader, a songwriter. In the first Chronicles, it says that, that he, through God's you know, inspiration, was setting apart and setting aside all the different aspects of temple worship. And at one point, there was all, all, everybody was named. The whole worship team was named in chapters in First Chronicles. And it says like there was like 288 of them. Can you imagine us trying to do that on the stage? 288 people, right? But that's how big the temple was, and it was for the whole nation. And God was like, and it, but over and over it said, because they were skillful and trained, So not only did these people have sort of natural talents that God blessed them with, but they also trained to do what they were doing so people could be led into excellent worship. And they were named and listed so we could maybe honor them and learn about what God called them to do. Some were set aside to play certain instruments. And some were to sing. They had big choirs and groups of people, big teams of people singing. And so God saw fit to keep that in the Word of God, so we could read it and know, hmm, I guess worship through music is important to God. He set aside all these hundreds of people to be specific, play a specific role in temple worship. So again, the style of music that any church might do on a Sunday morning really is a product of its cultural, of its culture and its context and of course of its leadership. It's about where we have been as a church, our rich history and traditions. It's about where we are now. And it's also about being forward thinking about where we're going. But always based on Scripture. You know, what we try to do as leadership is we vet the songs. We read through the lyrics, of course. So these lyrics make sense. Are they biblical? Are they theologically sound? And even if they're good, are they a little hard to sing? You know, there's plenty of Christian music like worship stuff that I love to listen to, we couldn't do it here. You know why? Because it's not designed for corporate worship. Like, we don't want songs to be so difficult to sing and so complex that we're tripping over it, right? 
Because then it becomes an obstacle. You follow me? You see what I'm saying by that? And so there's a lot of thought and planning that goes into what songs are we doing on a Sunday? Why? Do they kind of go along with the theme, if at all possible, with the message and all of that? Is it going to help our people as best as possible to bring praise and worship to their God through song? But I have to say in all of that, we have such freedom in Christ Christ says it is for freedom that you have been set free. You know what that means to have freedom? I mean, oftentimes you'll hear myself or Steve or whoever's leading worship. We will say, church, before we start, maybe you hear the music playing. We say, church, you have freedom in Jesus. Christ has set you free. But it doesn't just mean salvation that you're eternally with him. It means you have freedom here and now to express, listen, to express yourself in worship as he leads you. And next Sunday, when we reintroduce music, look around and you'll notice some people have their hands raised. Some people raise the one hand. Some people it's the other hand. Some people it's both hands. Some people aren't raising hands at all. Some people are singing real loud. Some people are singing soft. Some people aren't singing at all. Some people might be singing and just with their heads bowed. No, we don't judge who's worshiping, who's not worshiping. But we all express the way that we worship God differently. But the key, church, is that it starts with what's in our heart. Doesn't it? I mean, God says this. Matthew fifteen eight. through Jesus says these words. The people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. How about that? That should be hard-hitting for all of us as a sober reminder that we can do that. That we Did you know that you can offer worship to God that's unacceptable? I mean, we can come into church and we can make it look good, can't we? And we can sing and we can raise our hands. But only God knows what's going on in the heart. You could probably fool everybody in here. Put on a good show, but you can never fool God. The one who made you and the one who knows your heart. And Jesus says... Boy, these people, they honor me with their lips. They're saying all the right things. But their heart, their heart's far from me. How about these words from uh, the prophet Amos? In Amos 5, God says this. These are strong words, but listen. Here's what God says about, basically it's the same thing Jesus is saying, that their lips were honoring God, but their hearts were far from me. Excuse me, God says this. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. You believe, did, you ever, did you ever notice, like, this is God. This is God. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river. Righteousness like a never-failing stream. What is God saying? That's from the heart. He's saying, if your heart was truly with me, then you would be caring for the poor, you'd be caring about justice, and then when you sing songs and you bring your burnt offerings and you bring your songs and your music, then I will accept them because I know your heart's in the right place. That's why when we read in Romans 12.1 about offering our bodies as living sacrifices... That's what's holy and pleasing to God. And then in John 4, when he tells the Samaritan woman, and he says, 
The Father seeks those who worship Him, not in this mountain, not that mountain, but worship Him in spirit and in truth. Because that's what comes from the heart. The truth, is, is it God's Word? Is it true about who God is? What we're worshiping, is it truly in your heart? And then are you worshiping through the Spirit? Are you being Spirit-led? Because if you are, then you're going to be singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. Making music in your heart, Paul says. Always being thankful. See, it's a heart full of joy that is focused and pushed towards God that then worships Him. And that outflow of worship from the heart is going to be something so beautiful and something so unique that each of us create with our voices, with instruments. God says over and over, sing to me. Psalm 40, one of my favorites. It says, I waited patiently for the Lord and He inclined towards me. He drew towards me. He heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock, made my footsteps firm. And you know what it says after that? He says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise, so that everybody would know it, what God has done. See, God gives us that song. It's a new song, right? I know that you can all name a particular song. Let's just focus like a worship song by a certain band that just sticks with you. And it's like a song that the Spirit brings to mind over and over because it just means something special to you. It might not be special to anybody else. But to you, it's got a special meaning and purpose because of the sound of the music and because of the words. And it moves you every time. See, the essence of worship is a heart that treasures God above all things. The universe was created so that us as human beings, God's creation, would do everything we do and use everything we have to display the supreme worth of God. Let me just conclude by reading once again Colossians 3.16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs because of the thankfulness in your hearts to God. Right? But church, we're called to do that corporately. When we say the word corporate, it means what we're doing together. See, throughout the week, you're worshiping individually, right? You're using whatever style of music that you love and enjoy and you're worshiping God. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's um, in your car on the way to work. Maybe it's as you're falling asleep. Maybe you have a radio in your bathroom and while you're taking a shower, you're listening and singing because that's where you sound the best. And that's okay. But here's the thing, church. We're supposed to be worshiping God all throughout the week in many different ways, but especially by singing. We're called and commanded to sing and make music to Him. And sometimes, isn't it beautiful just to sing with no music? And you just hear the people around you singing or just your own voice because you're giving it back to God, the voice that He gave you.